Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, Mets fans, and welcome to the Happy Recap Radio Show. Starting off the new year, our first show of 2017 is January 22nd of 2017. I'm JB, along with EJ, along for the ride today. EJ, how are you, my friend? Welcome to 2017. Yeah, Happy New Year, and it's nice to be, uh, we, we always took our little hiatus, uh, much like the ball players. we go into a little bit of an offseason, but certainly we've reached the point where we are exactly three weeks away from today. No pitchers and catchers, so it's time to kind of fire up our season as well. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get started with the show, obviously the the world of baseball is is morning today, and, and you just hate to hear these stories, EJ. And it it feels like uh, you know reporting on these way too many times out of the Dominican Republic today in separate car accidents. Former major leaguer Ande Marte and uh, current Royals pitcher Jordani Ventura both died in car accidents today, and obviously our hearts and prayers and thoughts go out to them and their families around Major League Baseball. Um, just just devastating to hear these stories especially with you know both of them so early in their lives yeah major league baseball community definitely mourns losses of two more of their own and uh hopefully the, these tragedies are going to come to a halt at some point because uh we uh we definitely endured a major one with jose fernandez and now to have two in a, in a course of 24 hours via the same way really uh really shattering and uh and our best goes out to anyone who's uh, affected by their passing. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, as we as we head towards uh, obviously their loss, you know, we felt as we head towards spring training, um, you know, we had the the mid season, well, tail end of the season technically, of Jose Fernandez as well. But um, you know, the 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 thing, of course, obviously, is the sport does go on. We all move on, and uh, you know. We have a show to do here today, and we definitely intend to do it. Um, we've got a great guest today. I'm really excited about today's show. Obviously, we opened the show with a, a total downer of a story, and uh, you know it is the top story in baseball, so it's worth reporting, and uh, we're, we're happy to do so. But um, the, uh, the guest we have today joined us a year ago, exactly this weekend, in fact, to talk about uh, what was really just a very cool story about how he had gotten this far in the minor leagues, uh, every reason to give up, uh, every every obstacle it seemed that could come in front of them. And I, I invite you, we're not going to rehash the story today, but uh invite you to go back to the episode from January 24th of last year and uh, give it a listen. So I am happy to welcome, from the New York Mets, number 58, Josh Smoker. Hey, guys, how are you all? I'm doing good. Hey, before we get started, we were just talking about um, you know everything going on as far as um, you know the the, uh, the negative side of things when you lose a teammate when when the bad things occur in baseball. You were in Miami with the team uh, after Jose Fernandez passed. Could you talk a little bit about what that atmosphere was like? Because from a fan standpoint, it was one of the most surreal things we've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was it was it was definitely a tough situation. Um, baseball is such a <clears throat> tight knit community. Everybody knows everybody in one way or another. And obviously when you lose somebody like Jose, it's, it's, it's just a, it's a devastating loss to the sport and, and all of sports in general. 
Uh, he did so much for that city and he did so much for baseball and, and, you know, he'll obviously be missed. And um, it's just, it's, it's a very unfortunate situation. You know, I'll tell you watching it at home, I'm not an overly emotional guy myself, but even I found myself in tears watching that ceremony. And if you were following along on social media, the prevailing thought that we kept reading over and over is, well, how are these guys supposed to play this game now after such just a, a gut wrenching emotional ceremony on the field? What was the feeling on the field as as the ceremony wrapped up? Was it more like okay, let's let's play a game here for for no other reason to to try to distract ourselves for a couple hours? You know, honestly, it, it, it's hard to put words into it. Um, it, it, it was probably it it was probably one of the the, the, the toughest feelings I've ever had playing the game. Um, you know, baseball is such a happy sport, and and you play it as a kid and. And you obviously look forward to, to doing it for a long time. Um, a situation that I never want to be a part of again. Um, you know, but at the same time, the Marlins, the Marlins and the Mets, they, they couldn't have done it any better. I mean, it, they, they honored Jose in every possible way. And, um, you know, it, it was definitely it, – it's a day I'll never forget. Um, obviously, I wish I never would have had to have been a part of it. Um, but, but the two organizations, they, they couldn't have been any more classier in the way they handled it. Well, definitely want to turn to, to some lighter things, and I do appreciate your thoughts on that. I, I got to ask, before we get into talking about your 2016, a bit of a viral video amongst Mets fans floating around of you lately, picking up a pizza at the door and a choose <laughs> mask. I got to ask about that. How did that come about? And uh, it sure seemed like the uh, pizza delivery guy just wasn't surprised. Well, I was, yeah, I mean, I, I was expecting to get a little bit more of a rise out of him than, out of him than what happened. Um, we were we were having some dinner and getting some pizza and I was we were sitting at the table here at the house with with my wife and my brother-in-law and I had just gotten the Chewy mask for Christmas from my parents I'm a, I'm a huge Star Wars fan so uh, I was I was sitting at the table and we were waiting on the food to get there and um, Nicole my wife just randomly said you should wear your Chewy mask to go go get the pizza she said it kind of jokingly and I'm and <laughs> normally I'm I'm kind of awkward when it comes to stuff like that. I don't, I don't like to embarrass myself too much, but um, I, for some reason she just caught me at the right time. And um, I, I think in the back of her mind, she was saying that not really expecting me to say yes. And so I guess <laughs> I, I, it was just kind of a spur of the moment thing and uh, decided to have a little bit of fun with it and, and, and get the money's worth out of the mask. So um, yeah, I, it, it just kind of came out of left field and, um, figured I'd, I'd have a little bit of fun with it. And, and like I said, the, the reaction of the delivery guy, was, I was kind of expecting something more. And um, <laughs> you know, at the same time, I'm sure he's seen a lot weirder things than, than somebody coming to the door with their shirt off and a chewy mask. So <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Well, then, before we get to baseball, you say you're a huge Star Wars fan, so i got to ask, did you see Rogue One, and what would you think of it? Oh, it was incredible. I, um, I agree. I, I absolutely <laughs> I I. loved it. It was it was probably probably my second, if not the most favorite Star Wars movie I've seen. So it it was it was awesome. <laughs> I think the the term I used was this is what the prequels should have been. Exactly, exactly. It was it was everything it should have been for and, and then some, most definitely. So when we last spoke to you a year ago, exactly, just about here, um, you were getting ready for your second major league spring training, your first major league spring training with the Mets. Uh, coming off a successful season that left you uh, at the end of the season in Binghamton. Uh, pretty much, you know, I think all of us had, a, had it in mind that uh, most likely, you, you know, 
you were headed for either uh, Las Vegas or New York. Talk about that first spring training and uh, what it was like to get on the field as, as basically as, as a member of the Mets. Yeah, it was incredible. I, um, that, that, you know, I've, I've, I've gone through a lot of spring trainings and, um, I, I don't think I've anticipated one as much as I did last year. Um, it, it was just, I had a different feeling going into it. Um, I'd, I'd never been so positive with myself and, and that it was the best my arm had ever felt going into spring training and, um, you know, going in knowing that there was a chance that I could make the team. Uh, it was, it was awesome. And I, um, I, you know, I, it's just, I, I was just definitely something I've been looking forward to because I, I had never been on the on a forty man roster going into spring training like that. So, um, you know, it was it was the closest I had ever been to the big leagues, and it was I could see it. You know, the light at the end of the tunnel. So all the work that I had put in to get to that point, uh, it was definitely it definitely made it a lot more uh, a lot more sweet. It, it was great. Did you find that you had any uh, a little bit of additional pressure on you, being that you were going into camp of the twenty? 20- 15 National League champions? No, I don't think so. I, I think I've been in a lot worse situations in the past than what I was going into last year. So uh, I told myself going into it, I'm just going to go into it with a with an open mind and, you know, control what I can control. And if I make the team great, if not, uh, you know, I'm still one step away. And, um, and obviously I knew my time would come at, at some point in the season. So there was really no pressure. Um, I was just going into it, having a good time, and and taking in all the sights and sounds and everything like that, and all the information from the veteran guys. And it was just honestly going out, having fun, and and playing baseball. So especially in that first spring training, uh, obviously you had plenty of time and later in the season to spend time with with the, some of the veterans. But who were some of the guys that were kind of taking you under their wing and uh, that you were finding you were learning the most from? Uh, Jerry Blevins helped me out a lot. He he really seemed from from day one. Um, it, it seemed like I found myself talking to him more than probably some of the other guys. Just just because he's an easy guy to talk to, and and not not saying that anything against any of the other guys on the team, but I think I feel like me and Jerry had a lot in common um, from day one. And he's been around for a long time, and um, you know, so obviously the information is there, and uh, and luckily he was a great guy to talk to and he definitely helped me out a lot in spring and once I finally ended up getting called up later in the season um you know it it found it seemed like we were pretty much sitting next to each other in the bullpen every night uh and and just picking his brain and and getting all the information I could possibly get and um and he helped me out a ton as far as preparation and uh, what to expect with certain hitters and and in certain situations in the game and and he uh he was a huge role in and, and helping to, 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 for me to improve the way I did last year. One thing I've always marveled at through his entire tenure with the, as Mets manager is the level of energy that we seem to see out of Terry Collins every year at spring training. It kind of feels like anytime you see footage from a, a different field, it seems like Terry's always right there mixing it up and getting into it with the guys. Were you, uh, was that your impression of him as well last year? Yeah, most definitely. I'm, I, I, I don't know if you guys could tell or not, but I'm a <laughs> – I'm a high energy guy, so um, anytime anytime <laughs> I'm around somebody like that, much less the manager, it it just makes it fun to come to the field. Um, you know, the guy loves baseball. He loves being around the sport. He loves being around his players, and and you're always going to get the truth from him. And you know, I've said it in the past. That's all I ask for is just you know honesty. And and from day one, he's been 100% honest with me, and 
you know, he's a great guy to talk to and, and he loves his players. And it's just, he, he's a, he's a, in my, in my mind, he's the perfect manager. And it, it started to show, you know, ever since he's been with the Mets, um, you know, they've, they've turned out some good numbers in, in the records and things like that. And uh, he's just a, he's a good guy to play for. So as we head into the st- uh, season out of spring training, uh, Las Vegas is where you wind up ticketed for, generally considered a pitcher's nightmare. Uh, with the, at- the the high temperatures, the uh, the atmosphere being fairly thin, what was it like pitching in Vegas the first time? It was tough. It was probably, and honestly, not just Vegas, that entire league. Um, there's really, right. <laughs> I- I'm off the top of my head, I can't think of one part uh that is really a pitcher's park and um i mean maybe maybe sacramento but that's that's pushing it um it's just it's a tough place to pitch because like you say the air is thin the the heat the ball travels um most of the parks are pretty small parks um and and it just gives the hitters all the confidence in the world and and i'm not trying to take anything away from the hitters because you know they made it to triple a just like everybody else but it's a tough place to pitch. And at, at the same time, I, you, ha, you have to go about that with a positive mindset because if you tell yourself that, man, this is going to be a tough place to pitch and, and I'm not going to be very successful, then you're probably most likely not going to be successful. So, um, you know, if you go go into it with an open mind and and you actually try and try and learn how to pitch a little bit, I think it's, I think in the long run it helps you out, which it definitely helps me out. Um, it taught me to, to mix my pitches up a little bit better and, and I wasn't because I wasn't able to get away with just my fastball like I had been in the past, and you know, mixed inside outside, and um, so I, I definitely think it, it, it was a tough place to pitch, but I, I think looking back on it, it definitely helped me as as a as a all around pitcher. Well, you know, we always say when we're looking at pitching uh, stats coming out of Vegas, ERA is never the number to look at. I found what was most impressive about what you were doing in Vegas was your strikeout and walk ratio, I mean, you had 81 strikeouts in 57 innings pitched and only 18 walks in that same amount of time. What did you attribute in that time to your really good command, it seems, and your ability to punch out these hitters? I, honestly, I think just being myself and, and not trying to get too fancy. Um, you know, hitters get paid to hit, but at the same time, we get paid to pitch. So, uh, you know, we're here for a reason, and if you just trust your stuff, then, then I think you're going to be fine. I mean, you know, a perfect example of that is Paul Seawalt. Uh, you know, some Mets fans might be familiar with him, but um, every time he stepped out on the mound, he, he doesn't have that 95, 96, but, but you could tell that he had all the confidence in the world and that nothing was going to phase him. And, um, and you know, I, that, I, I think that actually helped me a little bit, honestly, just watching the way he goes about his business. Um, you know, I, I, I really respected that. And I, I think it kind of opened my eyes a little bit because I started off in Vegas, you know, I, I started off a little rough. Um, so just kind of, kind of watching him and, and it made me realize I just need to go back to square one and, and just be who I am. And, um, and I, I think that made all the difference in the world. You talked about uh, Jerry Blevins in spring training. And obviously, you know, I, I always say as a, as a, as a left-handed person, us lefties have to stick together. In, in Vegas, you had another lefty who certainly had some success in his career, Frank Viola. Talk a little bit about working with Frank at, at AAA, and did he help you with some of that pitch selection stuff? Because, one, obviously, he, he knows the atmosphere. He's been there a few years. And, two, 
you know, you do have the lefty thing in common. Yeah, he did. He helped a lot. Um, you know, I, we, we talked pretty much every day. He's Frank. <laughs> I don't know if anybody listening knows Frank Viola, the person, but he is one of the biggest characters you will ever meet in your life. And you'll, you will never have a dull moment with him. So I, I always loved talking with him, you know, before we would, would go out to throw and things like that. And the thing that makes Frank such a good pitching coach is he, he is able to get his point across to a point to where you're listening and you don't even realize you're talking baseball. Um, and I know that sounds kind of hard to believe, but he's, he's just, he's very good at communicating with, with his players. And I think that's what makes him such a good pitching coach. Um, you know, we would be talking about things he had done in the past and, and eventually I would realize some correlation between what he would do and something that I might need to be doing. Um, and, and, you know, that's why he's such a good pitching coach because he's able to relate with his players and, 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 I've never seen him I, – I haven't seen one player that he's that, that's played under him not come out as a better pitcher. And, and that's, that's – like I said, that's what makes him such a good pitching coach. So as the season progresses, August 19th hits. Mets are on the West Coast anyway in San Fran. They decide after a rough outing that it's time to switch some stuff up and they move Edgerton back down to AAA and you get the call. What's the next 12 to 24 hours of your life like at that point? Oh, it was it was hectic. Um, trying to get all my family, my parents, and my wife out there. It was uh, it was tough because obviously East Coast time they're they're in the middle. They're, it's the middle of the night, so they're asleep. Um, so luckily, they were able to uh, to to get up and get the air 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 tickets booked and in kind of a small world. But my wife and my parents they booked two separate tickets, but they ended up on the same flight. So that was pretty neat. <laughs> um, and. Uh, so yeah, they they flew out and um I got there probably I, I got into San Francisco I would say probably around uh probably 12 o'clock and flew into the airport and then uh took a car to the stadium and it was kind of cool because the way the, the the route that we took to get to the stadium uh we were coming down a small one-way street and there were buildings on either side, so you couldn't see the stadium. And once you kind of came out to that opening where the buildings finished at the, at the end of the sidewalk, uh, you know, AT&T Park was right there in front of us. So that was definitely – that's definitely a sight. I'll never um, – I had never been to AT&T Park, and it's most definitely one of the most beautiful parks I've, I've seen. And um, walk, I, I think walking into that big league clubhouse for the first time is when I really – Realized I had finally made it. I, I, you know, I had been called up a couple of weeks prior to that just for a, a doubleheader, and but I never. I, it was so everything happened so fast. I was never able to really soak soak it all in and, and enjoy it. So I had a little bit more time this second time, and um, was able to kind of take it all in and and just kind of kind of sit back. And that's like I said, that's when I kind of realized that I had I had finally made it. So. Uh, had a lot of emotions, all the all the work that I had put up, and all the all the roadblocks I had hit. It, it was definitely an emotional time for me, um, but but definitely a time I'll never forget. We had the chance to to catch up and talk a little bit during the season when Vegas played in in uh, Tacoma, and um, one of the things I noted kind of in my back of my mind was uh, that. Uh, maybe a little bit discouraged at that point, um, it, it seemed. And I was kind of curious where, you know, as you're dealing with Vegas and dealing with the season and dealing with, you know, kind of the, the rigmarole, do you, do you deal with frustration and, and discouragement? And that first call up 
seemed to be a, a turning point for you statistically. It, it almost seemed like you were a different pitcher once you came back from your, you know, if you will, not even a cup of coffee, uh, you know, a sip. Yeah, you know, I. That's that's a that's a tough answer for you, just because I um, I I had been through so many injuries and and pretty much upsets in my career that um, you know I. There's been times where I was able to handle it pretty well, and there's been times where I haven't been. Um, so I, I think I just kind of had to keep telling myself that, you know, even though yeah, I'm still in the minor league ten years later, I'm in a much better situation now than I was, you know, just a couple years ago. And uh, what I was having to deal with in Vegas was nothing compared to what I had to deal with in the past. So um, I wouldn't necessarily I say I was discouraged. Um, I, I knew at the time I hadn't really been throwing the way I knew I was capable of. And um, and like I said, I think that's when I kind of started just sitting back and watching Seawald a little bit more and um, how, you know, how he handled things. And I, I just think that, honestly, I, I've, 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 I've actually never talked to Paul about this, but um, I just think it kind of gave me that, that little peace of mind that, that I just need to do myself and, and not worry about anything else that I can't control. And, um and then obviously then I got called up for the doubleheader and, and realized I had finally made it and that I, that, that I could stay there. And I think that's when things started to uh, turn around for me. You know, I felt like with the, uh, with the second call up, I kind of felt like everyone felt that, well, Josh Edgen was going to have to spend some time with Frank Viola and that this was probably going to be a more of a permanent call up for you for at least a, a good portion of the rest of the season. And I'm wondering, just having kind of that knowledge that this time, this time is go, I'm going to get my chance probably. I mean, it was all likelihood that you were definitely going to pitch, and right off the bat, they threw you in first game. Was it kind of a relief knowing that okay, I'm at least going to get to show what I've got this time? Yeah, most definitely. And I think after I got those first couple outings under my belt and realized that, you know, big league hitters are humans just like me, and and you know, they're, that, that I deserve to be there. And I'm just as good as those guys. And, um, you know, I, I think after I realized that, it, everything was everything was seemed to be clicking. And um, it, it was definitely a, a lot easier to walk out there on the mound every night. So one of the things uh, worth asking about is that uh, your first win, August 29th, uh, you, you'd pitched a couple times and you're pitching in New York. Now, one of the things... Of course, uh, you know, I don't, you, you of course mentioned your high energy, and I don't know if you noticed, Met fans, they, they kind of dig the high energy guys. Uh, it's always kind of been a thing for us. And um, talk right. about getting your first win, getting that under your belt, kind of getting that behind you in a sense, if you will, and, and what that felt like as far as, um, you know, feeling like you'd arrived. Yeah, I, I think when I got the ball back was when uh... – I was, I was finally like, holy cow, I got the win. I, I didn't, honestly, I don't even think I realized it. Um, and then uh, our, our clubhouse manager walked up to me and had the uh, the certificate of authenticity that MLB puts on the balls that's given out to the players. And, um, you know, I, I just, I, I, I specifically remember that because that only happens in the big leagues. You know, you don't, you don't get a certificate of authenticity for getting your first <laughs> win in my baseball. So I, I just thought that was the coolest thing, um, you know, and, and, and to finally say that I had won a game in the big leagues, um, it was it was a dream come true. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't know how much I had to do with it just because I, 
I kind of came in and I think it was more luck than anything, but, but just for the fact that, that I had finally, finally gotten a W it was, it was definitely a, a dream come true. You know, when a lot of guys get called up in September call-ups, oftentimes it's two teams that are completely out of contention and really they're just there to show their stuff, but you get called up and you're immediately embroiled in a playoff race that the Mets went through for all of mostly August and September. What was the intensity there like as you guys were fighting for your playoff lives? It seemed every day. It was definitely off the charts. I, you know, people have always asked me if I, if I get nervous in those situations and, you know, I, I tell them, I say, the reason we play this game is to be in those situations. And, um, if you don't handle it too well, then you probably don't need to be playing the game just because that's the reason we play. Um, you know, yeah, the wild card game was fun, but I want to be in a World Series. So, um, you know, that's definitely something that I'm looking forward to and hope hope that I I have the chance to, to get to participate in one day, if, if not in the near future. Um, but it's definitely that I want to do and, and I'm looking forward to doing. And can only imagine how it would feel, but um, hopefully I'll get to uh, find that out here sometime soon. So one of the things you got to do in your in in your season is pitch at home, and when I say home, I mean pitching in Atlanta in the final season of Turner Field, otherwise known as the House of Horrors to most Mets fans. Um, right. A lot of us are not sad to see it go. I know you were. Talk about getting a chance to pitch there before they uh, moved on to the new stadium. It was it was absolutely incredible. Um, I I remember going there as a kid and. Um, I, I, Mark Carrig did actually, he did a great article, um, on, on, on that trip to Atlanta. Um, and, uh, you know, just kind of going back and reading what he wrote it, it made me a little emotional just because it, it kind of brought back a lot of memories from being there. Um, you know, things that, things that you don't really realize when you're a kid and then you look back on it, and you're like, wow, that was, you know, little things like, like I, I told him in the article, bo- getting boiled peanuts. Um, I've been to a few different ball, uh, major league ballparks but turner field was the only one where they had it seems like a vendor on every corner and um i used to always have have to get my boiled peanuts before we'd go into the game because that's that was my favorite ballpark treat so um so pulling up to the ballpark for the first time seeing all that i started having some flashbacks and then um obviously walking into the clubhouse for the first time was pretty cool just because i'd always always wondered what the clubhouses looked like i'd always i'd only been to turner field from the stands so um, getting to be in there and, and, and be in the clubhouse, uh, that was that was pretty cool. And and obviously getting to walk out on the mound the, the first time with all my friends and family being there, it was definitely a dream come true. Um, I mean, it was it was something that that me personally, you know, growing up as a kid, it's something I always dreamed of. I, I told my parents one time um, we were at a Rome Braves stadium, or we were at a Rome Braves game, and and um, I told my parents, I said, one day I'm going to play here and one day I'm going to play at Turner Field. And, and you know, the parents, it's the kind of, okay, that sounds pretty good, you know. And I was I was probably three or four years old. Um, but, uh, you know, I I in the, I genuinely, that's what I wanted to do. Uh, so so when I finally had that opportunity to, to get out there and do it, um, it was it was something I'll never forget. Well, from your childhood baseball home to your professional baseball home, all of us Mets fans can kind of relate to what you were feeling there, not playing there, but saying goodbye to our childhood baseball home as Shea Stadium was taken down years ago for City Field. And in the early years of City Field, 
let's face it, the Mets weren't exactly the, the greatest team out there. And uh, we never really got to feel the intensity. So a big knock on City Field had always been, oh, it will never rock the way that Chase Stadium rocked. And then, of course, we had the run of the last two seasons where I think Mets fans proved that even though there's 10,000 less of us in the building, we're going to be every bit as loud as we've ever been. And when, uh, when it's on the line, it seems like City Field is as loud and as intense a place of uh, fan support that you could find in the majors. It's absolutely unbelievable. It's, the, the thing I like about City Field, and especially from the bullpen, um, I'm, obviously I haven't been to very many big league ballparks, but um, the ones I have been to, the thing that sets City Field apart from them is, is the way our bullpen is situated. And we're almost right in the middle of the stands. And, yep. um, you know, the, the city field is so steep uh, that the, the, the sound, it doesn't, it doesn't get out of the stadium. It stays right up on top of you on the field. So, you know, as, as passionate as Mets fans are, when they get loud and rowdy, they get loud. And it's, it's almost like <laughs> they're standing right on top of you. And, um, you know, me being a high-intensity guy, that just, that just drives me even more and gets the adrenaline going even more. And it's, it's definitely a fun place to play. And, and I, I tell you, that wild card game, um, when everybody had the towels and they were waving, and I don't think one person sat down the whole game. It was absolutely amazing. I mean, it was just – it was incredible. And then you had the seven-line army. I mean, those guys are phenomenal fans. You know, they, they're passionate. And um, it's just when, – when they have when they have their little sections that they that they rent out, it's, 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 it's something special. And it's something that you don't get anywhere else, and that's what makes New York such a great place to play. Well, one of the things that, of course, obviously we're all looking forward to is we're just uh, you know mere weeks from uh, from uh, spring training. Talk a little bit about uh, what uh, you know, what if anything you're working on as far as spring training, what you've tried to improve on, and also for people who don't you know kind of understand the routine, talk about where you are right now in your conditioning regime as far as getting ready for the season. Um, I, I've pretty much done the same thing throughout my whole career uh I've, I've always been passionate about working out so i'll i'll train them in, in the morning and do a lot of uh a lot of interval training and, and lightweight explosiveness type stuff and then once i finish off there i'll head over to the baseball field and get all my throwing and running in and uh, every once in a while i'll hit just for a little bit of extra cardio and then um uh, and then i'll head back to the gym at night and that's when i get all my power lifting and, and heavy lifting and things like that and um i I like to lift fairly heavy. I'm actually pretty heavy compared to what most pitchers like to do. It's just something I've always enjoyed doing. Um, and right now I'm, I'm trying to get at least two bullpens in a week, and I'm, I'm probably 75 to 80% right now. And um, I'll try and get one or two bullpens in at max effort before I get down to spring training. And um, really just working on my slider. That's That's the one thing that I felt – needed to improve the most last year was was my slider breaking away from left-handers uh starting it at the front hip just to kind of get them to bounce off the plate a little bit so i've really been working hard at that and um and i think in in return that'll that'll help my numbers against lefties improve dramatically which is something that i've 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 needed to work on so i'm really excited about breaking the slider out and uh and see see how far it's come compared to last year and and looking forward to uh to seeing the results to follow you know, it's every year when spring training is coming to a close, it always feels like it's just like a week, a week and a half too long. And everyone seems ready to go, and everyone starts getting a little stir-crazy, both fans and players. 
the off season like that for you? Are you sitting here kind of like, okay, you just said you're excited to break out the slider. Are you, uh, are you chomping at the bit a little bit or are you just going to enjoy these last three weeks? Yeah. I, you know what? Uh, if, if I'm being a hundred percent honest, um, early in, 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 well, it, my whole career, I guess, with the exception of the last two years, um, if I'm being a hundred percent honest, I, I wanted to stay at home as long as I possibly could. And I, I can't tell you why I wanted to do that. And, um, you know, if I would have been a high schooler saying, hearing somebody say that, I probably would have gotten mad at him. I would, you know, had the chance <laughs> in a lifetime to to do something that to get paid to do something that that they love. Um, so I I can't tell you why I felt that way. I just I I always I I I never had the the urge to get to spring training like what I I have had the last two years, and I I think that's a credit to the Mets. I mean they. You know, I've, they make it as fun as it could possibly be, whether it's in the minor leagues, the lower levels, the, the higher levels, the big leagues. I mean, you know, I've, I've been basically at every level with the Mets, and, and you're treated the same way. Genuinely, you're treated, treated the same way in the big leagues, you know, as you are in, in, in GCL and in short season and low A. I mean, it, the, the Mets, they just they make it fun to come to the field every day and and um, and – you know, I, I, I last year about this time I was I was chomping at the bit to get down there, and, and this year I'm even more excited um, because I'm excited that the team's going to be what the, the 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 build of the team and and what Sandy's done, you know, to to go out and get Cespedes back, and I'm 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 just you know I'm 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 thrilled for it. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. So I have to ask, as far uh, obviously want to get your take. Uh, how excited? At, first of all, how excited as a player do you get? Uh, when when the Mets bring back somebody like a Cespedes, and then I also wanted to get you to talk a little bit about one of the guys who won't be back, unfortunately. I, what was it like pitching with Bartolo Colon? <laughs> oh, Bartolo, the uh, the the gentle giant. The uh, he, he's I tell you, man, he is uh, a class act. Everything about him um, from his from his uh, helmet falling off swings to, you know, the way he, the way he would pitch out on the mound. I mean, um, you know, he, no matter what the situation is, he's the same exact guy. He's just even kill uh, the entire time. It could be game seven, seven of the world series. It could be a spring training game. He treats every single game uh, the same way and, and nothing phases him. Um, there's just so much knowledge, you know, that he has. It's just, um, you know, it, it's incredible. Um Great guy off the field, great guy on the field, easy to talk to. I mean, he's 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 a true professional. You, you know, it's definitely. I was definitely sad to see him go, but um, you know, he had to do what he had to do, and I respect that. Um, but he'll definitely be missed from the Mets. Last one for me, Josh. Uh, you had tweeted earlier in the week after the Hall of Fame was announced, and uh, it came up that Pudge Rodriguez was being enshrined, and Pudge was always one of my favorites of all time. And you had tweeted out that you'd actually had the opportunity to be battery mates with Pudge a little bit towards the end of his career. I was just wondering if you could uh, talk a little bit about that. Cause I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it was, it was definitely something I'll never forget. I was in um, for the nationals and I, it, it, like I said, it was later in his career and he had hurt something. I'm not exactly sure what it was, but he was on rehab assignment in Potomac and we were in Frederick, Maryland. It's, it's the high A team for the Baltimore Orioles. And, um, 
it had actually he he was supposed to just catch five innings on this one particular day, and um, I guess come to find out he had felt better than what he thought he was going to feel, and ended up telling our manager Matt Leecroy that he wanted this, wanted to catch the whole game. So luckily for me, I pitched that night and um, came in in the eighth inning, and um, it, you know getting a throw to somebody like Pudge, obviously a Hall of Famer. Not many people get the opportunity to do that, so. It's something that I, I definitely didn't want to take for granted and um, made sure to focus on what the pitches he was calling and 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 tried to learn as much as I possibly could. And, and he's just such a great guy all around. Um, you know, he, he if anybody could, could big league a bunch of minor leaguers, he would have been able to do it, but he didn't. He treated us just like, you know, he had known us his whole life and um, a true professional and, and definitely uh, it was the chance of a lifetime to get to throw to him, something I'll never forget. Josh, man, it has been so cool having you back on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, obviously, uh, I, I think you probably figured out uh, we are on Team Smoker, um, and uh, you know we definitely are looking forward to seeing uh, you out on the mound for the Mets in 2017. And you know we we certainly wish you the absolute best of success, and we're so appreciative of your time, guys. I really appreciate it. Y'all take care. Okay. Absolutely. Josh Smoker from the New York Mets, number 58, relief pitcher. And, EJ, I tell you, you know, a little, little trivia. I don't know if you realize this. We've been doing the show, what, about nine years now? That is the first Definitely, active yeah. to join us. It's true. We, we have often had guys in, their, in the minors. We've had guys after retired. But guys actively on the 40-man roster, there it is. And uh, what a great one to have because Josh is, uh, is just full of, uh, full of energy, as he said. And uh, he's just a good – he's an easy to root for. And I do – I implore any, everyone, if you haven't heard the first edition that we did with him last year, I'll try to retweet it at some point in the next day or so because his whole story is amazing about uh, not giving up. And then uh, he's just had some – he's had some pretty nice early success with the Mets, and I really think he's going to be a, uh, a big part of what they're trying to build this year. You know, and one of those things too. I mean, I I think that uh, you know, while the Mets, you know, there there there's a lot of controversy amongst the fan base for not picking up any more relievers so far in the in the uh, trade or free agent market, and there's certainly still plenty of time to do so. Despite what some fans may think, there are plenty of time to do so. But I think that it's guys like Josh Smoker that make me feel more comfortable with them not going out and grabbing someone now. You know, you want to create some competition and have some good competition in spring training. That's great. I mean, yeah, you can always stash a Josh Smoker at AAA. I certainly want to see him in Flushing, but you know, it's a business. It's a game. We're trying to win, and I get it. But um, you know, I'll just mean I'll root that much harder for him to get back to Flushing. But uh, you know, I like the fact that this guy's got a really good shot at making the Mets out of spring training. Because as far as I'm concerned, he's paid his dues. He has nothing left to prove. This guy is a major league reliever. Yeah, he's definitely a major league reliever, and he's shown that he definitely has shut down kind of capabilities, and uh, he can definitely strike a guy out in a big spot when you need it. So, yeah, I definitely think that Josh is going to be a big part of the of the plan. And I, I like that he, he has a new little weapon in that slider that he, he's excited to debut. You know, when a pitcher's excited to debut something, you can, be, uh, you can get a little excited about it because there, sometimes if there's some uncertainty, they wouldn't really talk about it too much in the preseason and here he is saying he can't wait to debut it. So I can't wait to see it. And I think he's got a couple of good people to be working with in the spring between, uh, you know, also having access to Frank Viola, who is his pitching coach for most of last season and also having access, of course, to the Mets pitching coach, Dan Worth. And 
Um, you know, if there's extra things he can do to help that slider, he's he's got some good help right there, and it sure seems like he's able to gleam a lot from the the people that the Mets surround him with. Yeah, definitely, both from a coaching staff perspective and his fellow relievers, it seems like they're always a uh, tight knit band of brothers out there. So I definitely think while he has the major league stuff, he definitely has the right people in his ear, kind of uh, teaching him how to further craft and hone that stuff. And like I said, he's a guy. I think uh, I think we saw some some hints of it in September. If he's a, he's a guy that if he spends April through September with this team and hopefully into October, obviously, um, th- this is a fan favorite waiting to happen. Yeah, definitely. We've just gotten a glimpse so far, but he talks about the high energy he has. I I can see him definitely being a fan favorite in a big spot with uh, with the enthusiasm that he shows. You know, it's funny. One of the things that um, you, you kind of get a sense that, you know, I, I get to go to probably two to four uh, 51s games a year. And uh, you, you kind of get a sense because they have their, if you will, their baseball personality typically by the time they get to AAA. And you know, there are a couple of guys when you watch them, you go, this is the kind of guy that's going to be liked in New York. Uh, another one that comes to mind, um, you know, despite, uh, despite injuries, was fun to have him around was Victor Black. Um, you could tell from just the way he interacted with the teammates and the high energy he brought to the, just walking around the dugout before a game. You're like, this is the kind of guy that's going to be a fan favorite. Um, I, I will say I was a little surprised back then. Noah Syndergaard, introvert. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was a very shy, quiet guy at AAA, at least uh, from my observations, uh, which you know, were only a couple of minutes. But uh, still, um, you know, Josh Smoker was very, very high energy, uh, very, very, you know, very cool guy. I've had a chance to talk to him, you know, privately and, and, uh, you know, I just enjoy him as a person. He's a, he's the kind of guy I want on my team. Uh, and you know, that makes him easy to root for. And when you know, you got a guy with the ethic and the energy and the skill, you, you just can't help but root for a guy like that. And, you know, that's why I always, you know, you'll, you'll see me throw that hashtag out there, team smoker. Uh, and I, I truly mean it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I look forward to seeing what he does this year and, uh, just watching him further progress with his career. Like you said, easy to root for a guy, and I really feel he's going to play a, a pretty key role with this team this year. Before we wrap up, um, you know, one other piece of general baseball news from this week since, uh, you know, the Mets, and again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not angry when I say this, the Mets haven't done squat in a month and a half. Um, you know, let's, let's call it what it is. The Mets haven't made any news whatsoever. And yep. again, you, you can decide to hate that or love that. I'm sort of indifferent. Uh, because there's not, you know, the the areas I think they need to fix, the fixes aren't available, and um, you know, there's always relievers available. So, you know, there's that. But I did want to bring up, of course, this week was the Hall of Fame uh, voting results, and uh, you know, of course, you know, we don't have to belabor the fact did Mike make it this year because Mike finally made it. Uh, I kind of wanted to get your take on the three guys who did. Uh, obviously, I know you're a big uh, Pudge fan. So that had to be exciting for you, just barely making it. And then poor Trevor Hoffman, just barely missing it by five votes, uh, which has got to, that just, you don't wish that on anybody. Uh, but uh, Jeff Bagwell on the seventh ballot and Tim Raines on his 10th and final ballot. Um, I tell you, as far as Tim Raines goes, obviously one of the more um, dynamic players of my childhood. And Bagwell, boy, what can you say bad about Bagwell? I can't think of anything. Well, you know, it's interesting. To me, I never considered Tim Raines to be a Hall of Famer. I thought he was a, a very, very good player. I never found him to be all-world 
uh, Hall of Fame. Don't get me wrong. He was dynamic. He was a game changer. He could screw with the pitcher's head no matter where he was on the field. Um, definitely a good ball player. I just never considered him a Hall of Famer. And obviously, I'm not alone because it did take him the 10 ballots to get in. Bagwell and Pudge, both to me, were definitely Hall of Famers. The one thing I find interesting about them is the error they played in. They were both muscular. They both had injuries that are often associated with PED usage. Um, I, I definitely feel like there's the, shroud, the, the, the cloud is shrouded over them, which in my opinion is almost a good thing right now because I am of the ilk that I don't care who used steroids in the 90s since pretty much, as Jose Canseco said, 90% of the league was probably doing it. And everything Canseco has claimed thus far has turned out to be true. So I here, think it's kind a, of a – I would say, say my take, and this comes from Jose Canseco, is this. I look at Jose Canseco and I look at the success that he had while very obviously and very vocally doing it. I mean, he, he makes no clear you – know, make no bones about it. He used. He used performance-enhancing drugs, steroids, anything he could basically get to buff up. And as a result, his stats are increased. But the talent hasn't been there. It has to be there for all of this to occur. I have two words when people say it, it makes a superstar out of nothing. Ozzy Canseco. Exactly. Identical yeah, exactly. twin, did the identical substances, and did not have the identical career whatsoever. Yep. And when you look at Bagwell and you, uh, you look at Pudge, that's exactly it. These guys, even if they did use in their major league careers, well, they still had to make it to the majors. I don't think these guys were using in high school, in college, in the minor leagues. It wasn't until really the Peds boom of the 90s when they were already active players took off that maybe they did dabble. Maybe they more than dabbled. But personally, I don't care. To me, what this does is this now opens up the possibility for other guys who it seemed like were all but blackballed from the Hall of Fame who I feel shouldn't be, may potentially have a shot down the line of getting in. Yeah, it's certainly, I mean, you know, and again, you can make the cases. I mean, obviously, you've got Barry and Roger, and uh, you know, yep. a, lot of, a lot of Met fans do not like them, um, and those are personal things. But the reality of it is, is if you look especially at the early, um, you know, early entrance into the Hall of Fame, whether it be Babe Ruth, whether it be Ty Cobb, the Hall of Fame is filled with a-holes. Yep. You can't keep a guy out because he's an a-hole. He either has the stats or he doesn't. And that even applies to, you know, I'm going to shoot my mouth off for the 50th time today at a, at a fake Sidney Ponson tweeter, uh, Kurt Schilling. You can't vote based on whether the guy is an a-hole or not. You either have the stats or you don't. And, you know, Bonds and, and Clemens, they had the stats before they supposedly dabbled uh, or yep. more than dabbled. Uh, the reality of it is, is without a single dabbling, those two are Hall of Famers. And at the end of the day, you know, they're jerks. They're absolutely jerks, but they're jerks with the stats. The one yeah. that I'm most curious about is sitting there at his eight, in his eighth ballot, number six this year, up quite a bit. How close is Edgar? And what does that say for the future with DHs? Yeah, I still don't feel that Edgar's going to make it. I feel like too many people just discredit him as a 50% player. Fairly or not, uh, I don't foresee him making it. Personally, for me, Edgar Martinez is one of the greatest hitters I've ever seen in my life. He's a Hall of Famer. It, to me, it's a no-brainer. Uh, 
I could watch the, him scientifically break down his swing on a loop for hours on end. Edgar Martinez was a special, special hitter. So if he didn't throw on a first baseman's mitt and go out there and have 30 errors a year like some other guys might have, oh, well, no big deal to me. I think he should be a Hall of Famer. I don't feel like he will be, though. It's going to be really interesting. I think it, uh, that's going to be the interesting thing. He goes into his ninth year next year. Uh, yep. Obviously, Trevor Hoffman on the cusp. He, one would think he's a shoe-in for next year. Uh, Vlad Guerrero missed by, looks like, about 15 votes on his first ballot. you got to figure he yep. gets over the edge next year. And Absolutely. I, I, um, let's see, off the top of my head, I'm uh, Chipper Jones. Obviously, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, looking down the list, I don't see a whole lot of other people who are, you know, absolute shoe-ins. Although, tell me this isn't weird, especially because he technically hasn't retired. Eligible for the Hall of Fame next year, Johan Santana. Huh, interesting. Yeah, it's that's been true. that long he's, since he's active. That's, that's amazing to think that. It's been that long since we've seen Johan. But I think he nailed it. Next year's class is Trevor, uh, Chipper, and Vlad. Yeah, and I think and I think it'll be very telling. I think both three, four, and five out, out of the out of the current list of uh, voters, you know, with Edgar, Roger, and Barry, will be very curious to see um, as they progress upwards. Will you see a spike in them that will indicate that they are that they are Cooperstown bound, perhaps as soon as uh, 2019? And I, I tend to think you're right. I think Edgar may fall short, but I have a feeling he's the guy, especially as the you know time goes on. If there's going to be a guy that gets in uh, off the Veterans Committee, off the current list, it probably is Edgar Martinez. I don't think the Hall of Fame stays closed to him forever. Yeah, I could see that happening. And the other thing that's interesting is Tim Raines has been such a polarizing figure when it comes to Hall of Fame talk for 10 years now. That very much there so. definitely There have been parties that have probably campaigned very hard in his favor and very hard against. It'll be interesting if now any of those parties, now that he's in, now dedicate their efforts to trying to get Edgar in. I could definitely see that being the case. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, when, when you look at uh, Edgar, I think there's, a you know, one of the most popular players, obviously, in, in Mariner history beyond, you know, Griffey and, and um, you know, Randy Johnson and uh, their much beloved Alvin Davis up there. Uh, but, <laughs> um, you know, the, the reality of it is, is Ed, I mean, having seen him play so many times, in fact, I, I was there for his final game of uh, of his career. The uh, the the reality of it is, is you're, you what you said is correct. One of the sweetest swings, one of the most beautiful swings, one of the best hitters I've ever seen in person in my entire life. And I've I've seen some pretty good ones, and uh, I, I I'm very impressed to this day with what Edgar brought to the table. And uh, I, I've I've often joked that. Uh, um, Wilmer Flores kind of reminds me in some ways of Edgar Martinez, unfortunately in the field as much as at the plate. Um, <laughs> Be nice to Wilmer. <laughs> I, 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 you know, I love Wilmer. I, and, uh, and I'm the one that's been talking about Wilmer since he's been in double a. So uh, believe me, I, I'm, I'm, I am, I am a Wilmer guy, but uh, you know, sometimes I do think it's kind of one of those things when they were talking about uh the nationally designated hitter potentially being in this collective bargaining agreement. I'll admit the first thing that crossed my mind was, well, 
definitely somewhere we could put Wilmer finally uh, <laughs> that he could stay at. And, and that's the other thing. It's stability more than anything else, TJ. I mean, you know, that poor guy, he gets bumped around the infield more times than uh, a pinball. Yeah, he's certainly a ragdoll switching positions all over the field. So. But, yeah, on the Hall of Fame to wrap it up, I think, I think two of the three guys who got in are definite Hall of Famers. And Reigns being on the cusp, I don't feel he's a Hall of Famer, but I'm not mad that he's in. I don't think it's some national outrage that Tim Raines is going to be in the Hall of Fame. There's probably a couple of guys in there who are even less qualified than Tim Raines who are already enshrined. So let him go have his day. Enjoy it. It's a great day for baseball. Uh, the, the ceremony is a great day for fans of the, those players' teams, as we saw at Piazza last year. So nothing about this one gets me mad. And like I said, gives me hope for other guys who played in that era who absolutely deserve to be in. Absolutely. Well, my friend, it has been a a, a great uh, great time getting back together with you here and starting the new year, heading towards spring training, and uh, just kind of getting another show under our belts. Yeah, it was a little bit of spring training for us, and I think uh, we had no dust to knock off, so good job by us. <laughs> there you go. And again, we want to thank Josh Smoker again. Uh, you know, if you want to check that out, uh, EJ will tweet it out again here, but the episode is January 24th, 2016. You can certainly find it at uh, blog talk radio slash the happy recap and just go through our previous episodes and you'll be able to find it by scrolling down to January 24th of last year. You can also do that on iTunes as well. Uh, Probably a little bit quicker to do that, but uh, it's there. I checked before the show. It's still there. So it's still available for your listening perusal and uh, get to hear that entire story. I think uh, when I think about 2016, EJ, the three stories that come to mind will be uh, obviously winning beyond, uh, beyond our wildest expectations with the injuries we had. Uh, T.J. Rivera, and Josh Smoker. Those are the three stories to me. Yeah, I totally agree. Those are totally beyond the expectations. It was phenomenal. It was fun. And then two guys who, let's face it, were if they were going to play a role at all, it was supposed to be a minor one, and they both played uh, pretty important ones, and they both have very bright futures now with the team, which I don't think we knew if that was the case heading into 2016. No, we certainly didn't, but uh, we're certainly glad uh, to have good uh, good character players like that and a lot to look forward to, You know, even if there's not a lot of different faces out there. Uh, I feel pretty confident with the faces they put out last year. Uh, a little bit of health and a little bit of good seasoning, and uh, by golly, I think, uh, I think we're going to have a fun season one, one way or the other. Um, whether or not uh, we get to finish the unfinished business, time will tell. Absolutely. That's the, right now, the mantra has just got to be, Stay healthy, because if you stay, stay, stay healthy, healthy, anything is possible if they stay healthy, and that's what we're going to just be rooting for and praying for heading into the spring. Absolutely. We'll have another show next week. Uh, continue on the interview path as we head towards spring training. Uh, uh, check us out on Twitter. The Happy Recap is EJ. The Real Hoove is me. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook at The Happy Recap. And uh, want to thank again Josh Smoker for joining us. You can find him on Twitter as well at Josh Smoker. And uh, appreciate his time and certainly uh, his uh, sharing his story with us today. And for each and every one of you listening, we, we know that you're out there. We know that you're listening. Uh, we see the statistics. We appreciate each and every one of you. In fact, uh, especially those of the U.K. and Germany, uh, where we have surprisingly large uh, audiences. We appreciate each one of you. And uh, appreciate it. And we will talk to you next week as 2017, 2017, I should say, begins on the Happy Recap. Let's go, Mets.